Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church again. By the way, I have a lozenge in my mouth. I apologize ahead of time. But I've been bragging for the last three weeks when everybody's had that cold. I'm like, hey, I didn't get it. Well, guess what? I have it. So please excuse that. Let's begin by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for his work on the cross where he died for the sins of the world. We thank you that he was buried so we understood that he was human and he died. And then we thank you that you raised him from the dead on the third day, which shows and proves he's God in the flesh. And so we also thank you that salvation is so easy. We hear the good news that your son died for us and was raised from the dead. And we simply believe that and we have eternal life. So we want to thank you for the fact that salvation is by grace through faith. We also, Father, today want to thank you for your word, which is alive and powerful. And we do pray this morning, Father, for the needs of the saints. Especially pray, Father, for those in persecuted countries, for those that are poor, for those that have menial labor, often because they're Christians in those countries that are Muslim majority or communist. We pray for them that you would encourage them and strengthen and protect them, and that you'd motivate church Christians in this country and in other places that have more than they need that to help support them financially. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning again, everyone. <clears throat> today is the first Sunday of the month, so we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. I want to thank Steve Pomeroy who did such a great job last Sunday preaching <laughs> preaching on 1 Peter chapter 1. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that the Bible says about elders is that they're able to teach. And Steve's a great example of that. Whenever I need somebody or I'm traveling, he's always there with a message prepared and coming up here to preach the Word of God. So I want to Thank him for that. One of the many things that he does, as you know, for our congregation. Next Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to have our next outreach session. We've prepared a list, a prayer list. And uh, if anybody wants to add to that list, come on and be with us next Sunday. Prayer list for the unbelievers, for those who are lost. And uh, we want to pray for them as a community. And so we've, we've put together a, a prayer list and we're going to continue to add to that with other uh, people that you want us to add to that. So next Sunday, May 12th, after service, we'll have our next outreach session. And next, I want to welcome our good friend, Pastor Kingsley Emaniki from Nigeria by way of Edmonton. Stand up. He is, uh, he's amazing. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Um, he is, uh, this, this gentleman has planted churches all over Africa, all over Africa. Um, and I can never remember all the places, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Kenya, help me out, Pastor Kaisley. Where else? Gambia. Gambia. Yeah, you were there last year, right? Gambia, yeah. He also now lives in Edmonton, Canada, and uh, it's kind of warm there, but, uh, No. Can you imagine coming from Nigeria to Edmonton, where, by the way, it's still snowing? Yeah, here in, in May. So, uh, not only that, but 
He works full time. He works from, uh, what is it, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day? Yeah, he works at an addiction facility. And uh, he's an intake, which is the roughest part, because these guys are just coming off the streets, and he's there to take care of them and all. He's been there for three years, and uh, the, the, the problem that management has with Pastor Kingsley is that he smiles all the time. And I'm not making this up. He's been passed over for raises because he smiles too much. Can you imagine that? And this is, by the way, a Christian organization. So please, please keep him in prayer in all aspects of his life. He does have a website, um, Bible, www.bibledoctrineministries.net. I think you have the prize now for the longest website of any of the missionaries that we, uh, that we support. <laughs> www.bibledoctrineministries.net. I wanted to show you a few pictures, because he's got so many fabulous pictures, and I figured, why not share them with everybody? Well, there he is in the snows of Edmonton, clad only in a sweater, which I think is pretty pretty cool. Um, This is his family. Beautiful family, huh? Yeah, his wife, I'm going to get this right, so just his wife, Blessing, and his four children, by, by from oldest to youngest, Treasure, in fact, I can even do this, yep. We got treasure here, all right. Am I doing this right? Gift, right? Divine, and caris, grace. What a beautiful family, isn't that? Yeah. Pray for Pastor Kingsley, with five women in one apartment. Okay, he needs a lot of prayer. All all the things about him, he needs prayer for. I'll tell you what. Um, one of the things that Pastor Kingsley has done is. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how this works with him. He'll go somewhere, and he, like in Africa or even in Edmonton, and he'll just hang out and be in a house, and all of a sudden he'll be preaching the gospel, and then all of a sudden people want more, and they invite people, and all of a sudden he's got a congregation. So in addition to the church planting in Africa, he has a little congregation right there in Edmonton that he teaches two times a week. And uh, there are two of the folks in it. I want to show you a couple of the pictures. That's them studying. Um, there's a big Filipino population, Kingsley informs me, yeah, in Canada these days, among others. So there they are around the kitchen table like, and uh, learning the word of God. Some of them have uh, advanced technology, like look at that, but some of them have the old-fashioned one that I use. But in any event, they have their Bibles out. And uh, this is a church in Nigeria that, that Kingsley founded. And I, I made the mistake of thinking it was him. It's not him. It's the pastor. Am I right about that? Is that the pastor in there? Yeah, and Kingsley was uh, instrumental in putting these, all this together for them so that they would have slides and all the stuff that they need. Often he, uh, he uses his own finances in order to help the churches that he's planted in Africa. And this man is not rich, okay? And by the way, he deserves all the support financially that we can give him. I'm just going to say that, uh, and uh, I'll say it again. Um, this is that same church. Is this you? No, that's not Pastor Kingsley either, but that's the, that's the church in Nigeria. And uh, now that's Kenya. Yeah. These are the young people. These are orphans. You know, just like there's orphans um, in Pakistan that, you know, these, these are orphans. Most of their parents died of AIDS. Yeah, and uh, I particularly like this gentleman here because of the shirt he has on. He's declaring to everybody he's a stud muffin. I love that. I love that. But they're in need. Uh, they're, you know, they're eating a simple meal of rice. And uh, sometimes that's a big deal. So 
So you can see there's poverty, real poverty in Kenya. Um, this is this is gentlemen of the church, um, and I want you to notice over here. You know, anybody have any idea what those plants are? Anybody? Kenya, Kenyan. Well, one of the things they're known for. Coffee. Yes, that's those are coffee plants right there. Yeah, thought that's kind of cool. Um, and then this is a church in, in Kenya also. Or, okay, yeah. And uh, and that's in, that's in, what. Gambia. Yeah, that's a church in Gambia. And these are all churches that Pastor Kingsley uh, planted and founded. Um, and I think that's Gambia too, right? Yeah. Yep. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of people being touched. Pastor Kingsley says that there's a, these people are humble and ready to hear the message. The problem with that is that they're ready to hear other messages. And there's a lot of false teachers that are also in these different countries. Um, Calvinists, Pentecostals, the big like the, the same mega preachers that we have here also have an influence there, and I and I mean like people that are preaching a false gospel if they're even mentioned in the gospel. And so we got to pray for there to be sound Bible teachers in these places that are that are raised up in order to protect the flock and to keep them being fed on the Word of God. Um, and there's another picture that's back to Kenya, right? Okay, yeah, and that's. Gambia, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was one person that was in all the Gambia slides. So I, I, for a while I recognized her, but I don't. And that's Kenya. Okay. Yeah. All right. So again, Pastor Kingsley, I want to thank you. He's a great inspiration to me. He does things I can't do. I can't do what he does. But what I can do, and what we all can do, is support him. Remember, the church is a body, different people have different functions. We have different gifts. You may have the gift of helps. You may have the gift of administration or teaching. But there's also the gift of evangelism. And that too is to build up and edify the church, the body, including ours. You see, we are built up and we grow as we su- support and particularly financially support missionaries and evangelists that are going out and uh, fulfilling the Great Commission. That's their calling and our calling is to support them. Okay, so please... Uh, Please, uh, whatever you can do to help, please do that. We're going to take a collection at the end, um, which we always do when we have a missionary with us. So, uh, and uh, you, can, you can just make, it, make a check out to Pastor Kingsley Eminiki. It's E-M-E Nike. That's how I remember it. E-M-E Nike. So, Pastor Kingsley Eminiki. Nike? Nike. It's spelled like Nike, but it's pronounced like Nike. All right. All right, let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And our title for our message today comes out of verse 9 of chapter 3, God's building. Above all else today, I want you to reflect on the fact that we are God's building. We are, and, and we, and I mean like the local congregation, every local congregation. And that, uh, God's building, his temple, is precious to him. This is why he had Paul so vehemently uh, protest against the divisions and the rivalries that were in the church at Corinth. Because those were a threat to the unity of God's building. 
us, the body of Christ, especially in the local congregation. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to read all the way to verse 17, and then we're going to go back, look at this a little piece at a time. 1 Corinthians 3.1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you <coughs> as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not yet able to receive solid food. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. And for since there is jealousy, here's the problem again. We saw this verse in chapter 1. Since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? In other words, you're walking, you're living no differently than the unbeliever right now. Now, they are spiritual. They have the Holy Spirit indwelling. But the way they're living is as if they didn't, right? So, in other words, uh, you know, you can say to somebody, listen, I'll treat you as an adult when you start acting like an adult, right? That's what we say. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here, okay? He's saying, you are saints. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling. But you're not acting like it. And that's what he has to deal with here. He says, you're still fleshly in verse 3. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Hey, Jack, could you bring a Bible up to our... I know you want one, right? I should have asked that. My fault. I should have asked that right at the beginning. We usually do that. And I forgot. So my apologies. You're welcome. Yeah, we uh, want to make sure... Everybody can read it at the same time because you're taking it in two ways, right? You're hearing it and then you're seeing it. And when you leave today, I won't be with you. But your Bible will be with you. So that's why we have, you know, I was, as you know, I was in Arizona last Sunday. And, and it's, there in Arizona, they don't have their Bibles in front of them. Now here's one up before you get thinking, well, Rory's apostate. No, he's not. What he does is he puts, he puts his notes together. And he hands them out. So every, every passage is in the notes that the people get ahead of time. I like to do it this way, though. You know why? Because, um, first of all, I want you to hear it uh, at fresh. And I also want you to know where it is. Well, you, you know, so different passages have different styles. But in any event, I don't know why I'm rambling like that. You're used to that by now. Verse 3, for you are still fleshly. But since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? <coughs> For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, you see, that's a division. Can you see that right now? That's a division. Hey, you know what? I'm attaching myself to Paul. Not to you people, because you people are attached to Apollos, and we're going we're gonna to be fighting about that. See, that's a rivalry. That's a division in the making. Are you not mere men? Are you not acting just like the people of the world? Just like the Greeks, unbelievers in Corinth, who were attaching themselves to different philosophies and philosophers and wise people, quote, wise people? No different. You're bringing that into the church, and there's no place for that in the church. Verse 5. What, then, is Apollos? Notice he doesn't say who. He says what. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? What are they? What am I? Servants. Slaves. Doulos. Servants. 
that God used so that through our service you believed, but it was the Lord that gave opportunity. It's all by the grace of God. I want you to remember Paul when he was still Saul and he was persecuting the Christian churches. He was on his way to Damascus. And as as he was there, the Lord came in a bright light and everything changed. But that was all the grace of God that did that. And Paul would say that again and again in his letters. He says, I'm the worst of the apostles. I'm the worst sinner who ever lived. There's no reason why the Lord should have picked me. And And what he is, he's a great illustration of the grace of God. And he knew it. He knew it. He said that, you know, not I. I worked harder, but it's not me. It's the grace of God within me. So, that, so Paul and Apollos are actually servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each of us. I planted, like Pastor Kingsley, he planted the church at Corinth. Apollos watered the church at Corinth. We're going to see that's to teach them. But God was the one causing the growth. Now, he who plants... And he who waters are one. In other words, they work together. That was, he's pointing out the foolishness of making divisions between Paul and Apollos when, in fact, they need each other. They have to work together in their calling and their service to the church. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Apollos, Paul, God's workers. The congregation, God's field. God's building. And that's where we get the title of today's message from. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul says, like a wise master builder, he was in charge. He was the general contractor, if you want to think of it that way. I laid the foundation. That's the first thing you need to do in a building is lay the foundation. And another is building on it. This another is not limited now to Apollos, but to any man who would build up the church. All right? He says another's building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on the foundation. How he builds on the foundation. What does he mean by that? He says no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So anybody who does that is is going against the plan of God. And how did Paul build that foundation of Christ? You know what it was? He preached Christ and Christ crucified. It was in the message that he, that he delivered that he built the foundation. Now, if any man builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, with wood, hay, straw, each man's work, each one who is building, will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Each man's work on the building. If any man's work, which he has built on the foundation, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work on the building is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And then he now He goes from the field to the building to a particular building. Notice verse 16. Do you not know that you, plural, are a temple of God? What does that mean? It means the congregation is a temple. Notice. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, the congregation, God will destroy him. 
For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. We are a holy people. We are a community of saints. Really, that's all the holy saints are declared righteous by God. Now, the last time we were in 1 Corinthians, I guess that was was three weeks ago now, um, we ended by seeing there were two kinds of people in the human race. Remember, we saw that in chapter 2, we're not going to read it again, but in chapter 2, Paul divides the human race into two species, totally different species. Now, you might say, well, what is this, evolution? No. What it is, is there's a natural man. We were all born in Adam, all right, dead in our sins. And then when we believe in Christ, we're born again. We're new creation. Old things pass away. New things have come. And that's who we are. See, the, the, the fact that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit makes us completely different than the unbeliever. It's as, it really is that we're a new species. We're totally different from the unbeliever. And the words he uses in chapter 2 are natural and spiritual. Natural man, unbeliever. He who is spiritual, believer. Natural man lives by the wisdom of the world. It's true today. How do people live? They, they try to tack themselves on to some wisdom. Maybe it's a false religion. Maybe it's a philosophy. Maybe it's just a philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry. That's a popular one in our country, right? Live, all, live it up for your flesh, because tomorrow you'll die. And whatever it is, there's, there's some earthly wisdom, some human wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and that's how every natural man, unbeliever, lives. On the other hand, the spiritual man or woman lives by the wisdom, yes, but wisdom of what? The gospel, the word of God, Christ crucified. That's how we live. And so we're entirely different species. All unbelievers are natural. All believers are spiritual. Why? Simple. The spiritual have the spirit of God. So, so if you want to understand what it, what it means to be spiritual, it means to have the spirit of God. The natural do not. And that's a, that is a complete difference. The natural do not have the Spirit of God. But today we're in chapter 3. That was chapter 2. Here in chapter 3, as, as we've seen in the reading, Paul makes a further distinction. And this is what he does. He says, all believers are spiritual, but some are fleshly. Now that may sound like a contradiction, but it isn't. We're going to see this. What he's really saying, basically, by the way, is saying, look, all of you have the Holy Spirit indwelling, but a lot of you aren't acting that way. A lot of you are still fleshly. You're living out of your flesh, out of your, the sin in your bodies. And therefore, I'm going to treat you that way. Okay? So he's saying to the believers, some of you um, are acting the way you are, spiritual. Some of you are acting no different from the unbeliever. And those are the fleshly believers. See, all saints have the ability to understand the things of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is the one who explains it. But unfortunately, there are many saints who never use that ability, or at least not much. But those are still spiritual because they have the Spirit of God. They're just not acting like they're spiritual. They are mostly thinking still and behaving still, just like the unbeliever does. All right, let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Excuse me. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, 
for you are not yet able to receive it. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Why? Because they're infants. They're infants in Christ. We'll see a little bit more about what that means. It says, even now, see, the first time he came and spent time in Corinth, it was no surprise that they were infants in Christ. They, would, they had just heard the gospel, all right? But then he says, now, several years later, I'm writing to you, and based on the reports I'm getting, you're still infants. You're still basically acting out of your flesh. Even though you're, you have the Holy Spirit inside, even now you are not able, but you are still fleshly. What does that mean? Since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? In other words, everybody who's in the human race, especially our believers, but even believers, can be jealous and are, can be filled with strife. The natural thing for human beings is to find differences, to separate. And he's saying that that's no different from the... If you're doing that in the congregation, it's, you're no different from the unbeliever, even though you have the Spirit dwelling in you. And how does he know that? He says, well, one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Are you not doing the same thing that the unbelievers are doing? Splitting up over following this one, following that one. But I want you to notice the words in verse 1. He says could not speak to you as. Could not speak to you as to. Oh, that's really important. In other words, he's not saying that they're not spiritual. He's saying, I could not speak to you as I would to somebody who is not fleshly. Okay? And he says the same thing. He says, I, I, could, I had to speak to you as to men of flesh. What did that mean? Milk. Milk. Just like a new believer. Even though they were believers for some time now, he had to still speak to them as if they were infants because they were acting that way. So, you know, you have a 25-year-old son, let's say, and he is acting like a 10-year-old. Does that ever happen? Isn't it happening today? You know, people 25 years old, they're still in the parents' basement. They still, you know, expect everything to be done for them. They're just, they're no different from a 10-year-old. I I don't want to insult anybody, but really, they're acting like a 10-year-old. So what do you do with somebody who's acting like a 10-year-old? You treat him like a 10-year-old. They're not, but you treat... In other words, they are spiritual, but they're acting like they're fleshly. So what does Paul have to do? Treat them like they're fleshly, because that's how they're acting. I could not speak to you. And I'm not going to speak to you as a 25-year-old when you're acting like a 10-year-old. I'm going to speak to you like I would to a 10-year-old. That's basically what he's saying here. They were not acting like they were spiritual. So he had to speak to them according to their lifestyle, which was still fleshly. By the way, that's true of any pastor. And what I mean by that is a pastor assesses the congregation and teaches in a different manner to a fleshly congregation. In other words, if there's a fleshly congregation, it means, well, all the things we're going to see in 1 Corinthians, you know, rivalries, jealousies, divisions, people who are, who are celebrating the fact almost that a man has his father's wife. And that just, that just doesn't mean have her for the afternoon to take her to tea, by the way. That means, you know, having sex with his father's wife. You know, then they, then they have people still going to temples, 
of the, of the pagans. So you have all these things going on. And if, and if we had things like that going on, I would teach very differently. I would be confronting those things and, and just giving milk, meaning just back to the gospel. Understand what happened at the cross. Understand what that means for our sinfulness, that we were rescued out of it. So how, how are we who died to sin still living in it? See, that's a message for an infant in Christ. So that's what he had to do. He had to speak to them according to their lifestyle, which was still fleshly. So in other words, the spiritual here in chapter 3 are those who act like who they are. Just like a 25-year-old who acts like a 25-year-old. We are saints. And the, the spiritual here are those who act like they are. They're acting like saints. While the fleshly are still acting like what they were what they were before they came to Christ. And that's the difference. By the way, what makes them different? Well, what does he call the ones that are acting fleshly? It's at the very end of verse 1. Infants in Christ. You are acting like infants. Yeah. And those who are spirits, living like they are spiritually are mature. What he's really talking about here, the difference between infants in Christ and the mature. Okay, that's the difference he's making. All believers, but some are infants, and they act like it, and some are mature, and they act like that. Those who are still fleshly are babyish. They're not babies, but they're babyish. Okay? They were not walking by means of the Spirit. Now, how does Paul know that? Really simple. It's right there. Because they were still carrying out the deeds of the flesh. That's, that's, what, you know, that's how Paul knew. He knew that where there was jealousy and strife, in that congregation, they're still babyish. They're not walking by means of the Spirit yet. Please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. By the way, I don't know whether you noticed that, but I just paid you a compliment a minute ago. Remember I said, if you were like blah, 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 well, you're not, Okay. I'm glad, because I would much rather teach grown-ups than infants. You know, when I was substitute teaching, um, I liked the high school kids. I would have not survived with the second graders. They'd be running the classroom in about 10 minutes. So, so there you go. Galatians 5.16. Then I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's the answer. It's simple, isn't it? Walk by means of the Spirit. Live according to what the Spirit is teaching you from the Word of God. When you're doing that, you won't, you cannot be carrying out the desires of the flesh. See, a lot of people want to focus on the desires of the flesh and try to fight it, try to defeat it. But you can't. You can't take on the flesh. Paul couldn't. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. Why? Because the power of the flesh. So what do you do? He says, well, thank God for Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So what does that mean in daily life? It means just walk by means of the spirit and the rest will be taken care of. You won't be walking. You won't be carrying out the desires of the flesh when you are walking, living like the way the spirit 
is teaching you to live. Because the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. They're enemies. Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. What was the purpose of the law? To reveal our sinfulness. That's what it was. And he's saying that, you know, if you, you, when the law reveals your sinfulness, that's one thing. But when you're led by the Spirit, you don't need that. You don't need to be having uh, your sins revealed to you because you know the solution is to walk by means of the Spirit. But here are the deeds of the flesh. I want you to notice these in connection with Corinthians. The deeds of the flesh are what? Evident. They're evident. They stick out like a sore thumb. You know, it's funny. Now, this is not salvation. He's not saying that people who are dominated by their flesh aren't saved. They are, because they have the indwelling spirit. They believed in Christ. That's not the issue here. The issue is how they're living. And so, so you know, uh, people often say, well, there's a difference, you know, when a believer sins from when an unbeliever sins. And what they mean by that is that, you know, it's not so, it's not so bad when a believer sins because we know we're saved. And you know what? It's worse. It's much worse when a believer does that. And he's pointing it out. He says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. <coughs> Excuse me. What are they? Immorality. These are all things that were going on in Corinth, and yet he calls them saints at the very beginning. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. There's lots of that in Corinth. Sorcery, enmities, conflict between different brothers and sisters in the Lord, strife, jealousy. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. What kind of deeds are these? Deeds of the flesh. Can believers do this? Yes, they can. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't be warning us about it. Believers saved, saints, but carrying out the deeds of the flesh, like dissensions and factions. You know, a lot of times Christians don't really think much about dissensions and factions. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to see today when we get back to 1 Corinthians that God takes that really seriously. Why? Because it can destroy and damage the temple, the congregation. You could have a congregation that was growing in the Lord for five years. You get a couple of people in that place that are stirring up trouble and having divisions and saying that, you know what, I got another pastor that's better than your pastor. You know how that goes. And people think it's nothing. Well, you're going to see what the Lord says about people that create. Not that people that study, please don't misunderstand me. You're free to study whoever you want. But if you're causing division in the congregation, that's the issue. And we're going to see God takes it seriously. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and he goes on. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But remember, those who practice such things will not inherit. In other words, those whose lifestyle is completely dominated by those things. But remember, notice also, that the spirit is against the flesh for believers. They're in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. In other words, the spirit's at work, and there's times when he basically knocks you over the head with the word of God, and keeps doing it, and keeps doing it. Until you say, you know what, I'm going to go his way. See, we have that, and the unbeliever doesn't. What I'm saying is, is that um, the, the believer will not be totally dominated by the flesh. But they can be 
pretty close. They can be partially dominated. In any event, verse 22, very popular passage. The fruit of the Spirit is love. These are all things that weren't in evidence, by the way, in Corinth at the time. Love and joy and peace. (coughs) Patience and kindness and goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He died on the cross. We died with him so that we be no longer under the bondage of sin. Now he goes in verse 25. I want you to see this. If we live by the Spirit, and we do, we are alive because of the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us live like who we are. Let us not become boastful. Well, this was the biggest thing that Paul kept criticizing the Corinthians for, right? Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So don't do that. Don't be boastful. Don't challenge one another. Don't envy one another. That is exactly the problem in Corinth. But remember, those who are carrying out these deeds of the flesh, if they're believers, they're infants in Christ. They're in Christ, but they're infants. Those, on the other hand, who are walking by means of the Spirit, on a consistent basis, are mature. All right. So in other words, the solution to being fleshly is to grow up. Grow up. If you're an infant and you're fleshly, what's the answer to that? Grow up. You know, take the milk. But, you know, just like the Word of God, it's all good. You know, you hear that expression? Life isn't all good. I don't really like that expression. Oh, it's all good, you know. No, but the Word of God is all good. So you take, take what you're ready for, the milk, the basics, the foundation, and then you grow up. And as you grow up, by hearing the Word of God preached, then you can start walking by means of the Spirit. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. I spoke to you as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive solid food. Indeed, even now you're not able. You're still fleshly. Since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Babies, are you not walking like mere men, no different from the unbeliever? When one of you says, I'm of Paul, making a big deal, oh, you know what? I am lining up with Paul. I'm on his coattails. And another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Since they were acting like babies, how did he feed them? Baby food. Baby food. Why? Because they have to learn to crawl before they can even walk by means of the Spirit. Milk refers to elementary teaching. Again, isn't, isn't milk nourishing? Isn't it necessary? Of course, for the babies, of course it is. That's why God has set it up where women... I don't get into all the details, but, you know, they, there's a point in time when babies are, are supplied. Now, these days, we have all kinds of other ways of doing that, formula and all that. But, you know, originally, God said the mom's going to take care of this. So, it's good. It's rich. It's what you need, but it's elementary teaching. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 5, 11. Hebrews 5, 11. Here we learn more about this difference between milk and solid food. Hebrews chapter 5, 11. We learn more here about the fact of being immature versus being mature. Hebrews 5, 11. We're going to go all the way to 6, 3. Hebrews 5, 11. 
concerning him, Christ, we have much to say. That, that's the pastor, right? I have so much to teach you. Okay, he says, it's hard to explain, though, why. Not because of the Spirit, but because you have become dull of hearing. In other words, you're tuning it out. You've got some skin on your ears and you can't hear it. You're acting fleshly. You become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to know the Word of God so well that you can teach others. That's the design, actually. But you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Now here, here, the, the Hebrews that he, was write, that he was writing to, they had at one time been able to eat solid food. And yet they became dull of hearing. And now once again, they got to go back to milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Please become accustomed to the word of righteousness. How do you do that? Think about it this way. If you're in another country and they have their own food and you're like, oh man, I, I can't eat that. You know what I'm saying? I can't eat that. I don't want to eat that. Give me milk, you know? Give me coffee. But over time, how do you be accustomed to their diet? How do you do it? You start eating their diet. Exactly right. And keep eating it. Well, it's the same thing here. We have to be accustomed. We have to be in the habit of the word of righteousness. That's why it's important to hear the Word of God on a regular basis. It's important to be in the Word of God every day to continue to train yourself in the Word of righteousness. Otherwise, you're going to be in the world and their fleshly and their, their minds of the world, their wisdom is of the world, and all of a sudden you'll be listening to that, you'll be tickling your ears, and then you'll be dull of hearing for the truth. He says, don't do that. Verse 13, everyone who partakes only of milk, only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Same thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, who gets to eat solid food? Solid food is for the mature. See how simple this is? It's the same thing we just saw in 1 Corinthians 3. If you're, if you're mature, you get solid food. But how do you get mature? Who, because of... For solid food is for the mature, who... Because of practice. Yeah, there's no mysterious, miraculous way to do this other than practice. Practice what? Studying, learning, hearing the word of righteousness. That's where the practice is. You know? That's why the word of God is simple if you just take it one verse at a time. And if you have a question about something, look a few verses back. Look a few verses ahead and you'll get the answer. God is not a God of confusion. He lays it all out there. Because of practice with the word of righteousness, have their senses what? What's that next word? Trained. In other words, your spiritual faculties need to be trained. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know what? I have the spirit. A lot of times they think, I have a second blessing. And now I am just free. God is going to just share things with me all the time. And no longer am I bound by that verse-by-verse teaching anymore. I'm free. God talks to me directly. Well, that's ridiculous. Why? Because in order to do this, in order to be mature, you have to practice having your spiritual faculties trained. They need training. They need training. And then when you do that, then you're able to discern the good from the evil. 
You're able to discern, by the way, the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels from the wood, hay, and straw. You're able to be discerning God's truth versus Satan's lies. How do you get there? Work backwards. The spiritual faculties are trained because of practice in the word of righteousness. That's how. And then he, then he encourages them in, in, in chapter 6, verse 1. Leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. This we will do in verse 3 if God permits. Solid food, by, now let's just concentrate. Solid food refers to, oh, I guess the, there it is. Solid food refers, now remember, people want to come in and figure out themselves what the solid food is. But here's the thing. We learned what it was. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we were told what it was. The solid food refers to the wisdom that the mature understand. That's the solid food. Particularly Paul's mystery teachings. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 2. Remember this, 6 to 7. Solid food is the wisdom that mature Christians understand. Particularly Paul's mystery teachings. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. We were just here. Just here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom. Among who, though? Among those who are mature. Yeah. Notice it. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. But this wisdom isn't of the world. It's not of this age. It's not the things, these things are not what the rulers of this world say is important. Those things are passing away. We speak God's wisdom. God's wisdom for the mature in what? A mystery. The hidden wisdom. The things that were not known until after Christ ascended into heaven. The hidden wisdom, hidden in the Old Testament, which God predestined, he always knew it, before the ages to our glory. The temple is very precious to God. He, we are the vessel by whom God is revealing his grace. And so those things were mysteries, but now they're revealed to us. An example of these mystery teachings is found in chapter 15. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 51. You might say, what does that mean? What are the mystery teachings? Maybe if you were an infant, I would say, well, they're a mystery. And I'd leave it like that. that, But I wouldn't do that because then they'd come up with all kinds of stuff. But here's an example of a mystery teaching. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Never revealed. You won't find this in the Old Testament. But I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed. Not all of us are going to die. Some of us will be alive for the rapture. We will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we who are still alive will be changed. That's mystery. Why? Not because we can't understand it. We can. Why do we understand it though? Because we have the Holy Spirit inside. See it? But it was not revealed in the Old Testament. You can't find this in the Old Testament. The rapture. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. The saints at Corinth were not able to receive solid food when he went there first. That was understandable. 
But now he expected that they were, but they weren't. They're still infants in Christ, still not able to be given solid food because they're still living in the lust of their flesh. How did Paul know? They were still trying to make themselves superior to the other ones. And how did they do it? Riding on the coattails of their teachers. Well, you know what? I'm of Paul, and Paul's better than Apollos because he started the church. Well, I'm of Apollos because he's a more eloquent teacher than Paul. Paul's unimpressive. And that's how they were trying to do that. And when that infants behaved that way, you know, those are my toys. You can't have those toys. They're mine. Paul's mine. You can't have Paul. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Back to 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed as God gave opportunity, as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Paul said. I started the church. I put the seed in the ground. Apollos watered. He taught you. But God caused the growth. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Is anything. They're insignificant in and of themselves. Why? Because it's God who's running this. He causes the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. They're together. You can't separate them. You can't create rivalries by putting Paul over here and Apollos over there. They're one. They're united. Though each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are God's fellow workers, Paul said. We are together, Apollos and I. You are God's fields. You benefit from the grace of God that is given to us to plant the church and to water it. You are God's building. Paul and Apollos are insignificant servants. That may shock you to see that, but that's what Paul's saying here. He says, we're nothing. You know, we're servants. And, not the, and don't make a big deal of us. Because why? Well, because think about it. He assigned Paul the task of planting, preaching the gospel, founding the church at Corinth. Okay? He assigned Apollos, God did, the task of watering. He gave him the hose. And said, here, water. He gave Paul the seed. Here, plant it. He continued to teach. The watering is teaching. Teaching, teaching the saints at Corinth. But they are simply instruments in the hand of God. And he knew it. God causes all the growth. The planter of the seed can't make it germinate in the ground. Right? You can plant the seed, but you don't have the power to say, now germinate, now grow. No, God does that. The waterer doesn't have the power to make the plant grow. He's not sitting there watering it and saying, let's go, let's go. No, God has to do that. So this this analogy in nature is true in the church. God, listen to this, could have gotten anyone to perform the tasks that Paul and Apollos performed. Why? Because it's by his grace. Remember, we said, how is it that Paul got to where he was? The grace of God. He said it over and over and over again. How did Apollos become that great, eloquent teacher. The grace of God. The grace of God. It's by His grace. So, but here's the thing. They're servants. They're instruments. Let me ask you something. Do people who have servants boast that they, hey, I'm associated with my servant? Not usually, right? It's usually the other way around. 
Do people boast in their, that they know they're connected with a field worker? Not usually, right? No. Boast in the one who owns the field, the Lord. And God pays them their wages according to their labor. At the end of verse 9, though, notice he shifts from talking about workers as the leaders who preach the word to addressing the congregation. He tells them what? They're God's field. In other words, when Paul and Apollos are at work planting the seed, watering, it's for them. They're the field. The field is to grow. God has given these servants and their grace for them to grow. And then he introduces a new metaphor. They are also God's building because he wants to make another point. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. Another is building on it. Each man who builds must be careful how he builds on it. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, Jesus Christ. If a man builds on that foundation, he still has to be careful. Because one will, will do it with gold and silver and precious jewels, precious stones. Another will come around and try to build it with wood, hay, and straw. But there will be a day when each man's work will become evident. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Fire in the Bible is very often the judgment of God. The fire itself will test their work. What will it test? The quality. Did they use gold and silver and precious stones, or did they use wood, hay, and straw? Each man's work. Remember, the people that are building the temple on the foundation that Paul laid, okay, some of them are going to use the gold and the silver and the precious stones. Others are going to build using the wood, hay, and the straw. And he says, you know what? If any man's work which he has built on it remains... The gold, the silver, and the precious stones remain. He will receive a reward. The man who builds with wood, hay, and straw, that's all burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet as through fire. The foundation, again, is Jesus Christ. Paul preached Christ, and that alone. He said that at the beginning, and him crucified. Any other church that's built on any other foundation besides Christ, listen to me, is built on sand. That's true today. Every bit as much as it was true in the first century. Any church that is built on a foundation besides Christ crucified is, is something that's built on sand. Unless the Lord builds a house, Psalm 127, they labor in vain who build it. Now, Paul was the lead architect and builder and engineer, but see, other contractors were hired by the Lord to then construct the rest of the building. And he says each of those, too, must take care in how they build. They must build according to the foundation, Christ. What does that mean? It means that everything that they, we're going to see this in a moment, everything that they preach and teach has to be according to the foundation, Christ and Him crucified. We really never get beyond the gospel. But it gets built on. Remember, the gospel, Christ died, was buried and rose the third day, risen the third day. Paul chapter 6 tells us we died with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised with him. That just builds on the foundation of the gospel. They cannot lay another foundation. They must do it according to Christ. The contractors here are teachers, leaders of the church. And they all have to follow Paul's blueprint. That's true today. Where do we find Paul's blueprint now? In the epistles. 
And so we are today as pastors to follow that same blueprint. And we cannot use shoddy materials. Only the best will do. There are two, notice, kinds of materials. Just two. Those who will stand up to the fire, that test the quality. Is it really the gold, the silver, precious jewels? Or those that get burnt up, the wood, the hay, the straw, burned up in the fires of testing, whatever those are. So simply then, the gold, silver, and precious stones represent the teachings of the Word of God, the purity, gold, silver, precious stones. God's wisdom, taught by the Spirit. That's the gold, silver, and precious jewels. That's the only way in which any preacher of the Word of God, or so-called preacher of the Word of God, will be evaluated. Did he teach that? The teachings of the Word of God, God's wisdom taught by the Spirit, built on the foundation of the Gospel. Or, did he teach the wisdom of the world? That's the wood and the hay and the straw. And, then, and there are a lot of people that do that. They really are. There are a lot of people, who's, who's, uh, unfortunately, whose sermons have much more about stories than they do about Bible. Much more about trying to compare and contrast what different people in the world think. You know, they'll get up there and they'll quote some quote that's from the world. And then they'll try to tie, that, tie the Word of God into that. Because that, what they really want to talk about is that, pre, that, that message from the world. There's a lot of that going on. But what is that? Wood, hay, and straw. It's words taught by human wisdom. It's foolishness to God. It's foolishness. All right. I'm not going to finish. But that's okay. I'm going to pass forward. This is what I want to say in the end. I just want to read 16 and 17 with you. The speed readers now are taking it all in. All right. Do you not know? Here's the third. We're a field, we're a building, and we're a temple. Do you not know that you, by the way, you is plural. All of you are a temple. Temple is singular. In other words, everybody in the congregation, we're all together and we're one temple. That's the way God wants it anyway. Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, what is the temple of God? The local congregation. The local congregation. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. That's much more severe even than being rescued out of fire. Because when you're rescued out of fire, you're still alive. But God will destroy the one who destroys his temple, the congregation. That's how seriously he takes the congregation and for they would be united and not disturbed by rivalries and dissensions and divisions. God will destroy him because you're dealing with his temple, the saints. All right. I just want you to see that. That's pretty much what I wanted you to see. Later on, he's going to warn again, by the way, these same people. He's going to do that in chapter 11 of of 1 Corinthians in connection with the Lord's Supper. The the ringleaders of this uh, people that are stoking flames of quarrels and divisions are going to show up again in connection with the Lord's Supper. And it'll be just as severe when those return as he has here. He talks about people being weak and sick and sleeping, dying. All right. Let's close in prayer and let's have the Lord's Supper celebration together. Father, we want to thank you today for helping us to understand everything that you're doing through servants to build up and edify the church. 
We thank you that you see us as so precious to you, united, one body, that you act very severely towards those who would try to break up congregations. So also let that be a lesson to us to really pay attention, be careful, judge ourselves in this area in particular to make sure we're not contributing to that. And Father, now we would ask that we would have our hearts prepared, that we would consider the body as a whole and how it is that you are asking us to contribute to the unity rather than the division. That's the proper preparation to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we ask you this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. At this time, I would like to invite the ushers forward, please. Well, as many of you know, last Sunday I was out in Arizona at the Baram Ministries Conference, and uh, I was privileged to uh, lead them in the Lord's Supper. And that weekend, um, I taught out of 2 Corinthians 11, and 1 to 4, and I've decided today basically to give you the same Lord's Supper message that I gave there, because um, it's an important message, and it's another way of looking at the Lord's Supper. See, in that, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul chastised them, same Corinthians, and he said, you know, you're, you're, you have been given Christ, and you're to be a pure virgin, and yet you're abandoning him. Like he said in Galatians, I'm amazed that you are so quickly abandoning Christ for another false gospel. And, it, and the Corinthians were listening to this false apostle, whoever he was, and happily submitting to those new teachings even though they were betrothed to one husband, Christ. They were two-timing him, as it were. Paul had been sent the message directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. So when they rejected Paul's message, his gospel, they were really rejecting Christ. And they quickly deserted Christ for another Jesus, a second one, a second one that would be built on a foundation of sand. What a sad, terrible thing to happen to a church. Just like the apostles, you know, abandoned Christ when he was arrested all but John. And it is always sad to see that. In the Lord's Supper passage in 1 Corinthians 11, there is a sentence that Christ says twice. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. He is saying, don't forget me. Don't forget me. I'm going away soon, and you won't see me anymore. There's something I want you to do in my absence. I want any time you eat the bread or drink the cup, please do it in remembrance of me, not me, the Lord. The bread and the cup, when they did that, would remind them of him. It's really that simple. Do this in remembrance of me. It's actually not that much different when 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 lovers have to part they may have something that they use as, a, as an image, as something to keep remembering. Maybe it's the locket of the late young lady's hair. Maybe it's his high school ring, whatever it is. Or maybe they had a favorite restaurant that they would go to on special occasions. And, and, and he says to her, every time now that you eat there from now on, I just want you to think of us. Don't forget that I love you. Why? Because out of sight, out of mind, 
that is, a, that is a real issue for human beings. What was once fresh and unforgettable begins slowly to recede from the memory. And it seems incredible that Christians would stop thinking about Jesus, but it happens. That we, we don't see him. Incredible, though, because he died for our sins. Incredible because when we're faithless to him, he remains faithful to us. Incredible because really all our hope is in him. All of God's promises are fulfilled in him, and yet our lives get too busy. We become consumed with our own passions. And we pay attention to the people that we see and hear, and they grab our attention away from Christ. That's why the Lord's Supper is instituted. Do this in remembering me. He said what he did about the bread and the cup, so we would never forget what he did for us at Calvary. As long as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. Until he comes back. When he comes for us in the rapture, he'll be unforgettable. We'll always be with him. Always be with the Lord. We will be like him. We will see him just as he is. We will be revealed with him in glory. But in the meantime, he says, remember me now. How? with the bread and the cup. Paul writes, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it, I'm sorry, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's for you. I'm going to die on the cross for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Please remember me every time you do this. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink the cup and remember the blood of Christ, our sacrifice for us. As often as we do this, eat the bread and drink the cup, We proclaim the Lord's death. We preach Christ crucified until he comes. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to come to you now and thank you for the death of Christ, for our sins. Thank you that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We pray now, Father, that during the week we would not forget him. and That we would continue to concentrate on him. Because... Because in addition to the communion elements, we have your word. And when we look there, we see his image that we know we're being transformed into. So help us to be doing our duty to make sure we're being trained in the righteousness of the word of God every day. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, those of you that are going to take the collection, we're going to take a collection now for Pastor Kingsley. And... uh, and he's, he wants to go to South Africa to build another church, by the way, in, in September. So keep that in prayer. And, of course, he needs the finances to get there. You know, when he gets there, he uses his own money. I think I mentioned this already, but he uses his own money in order to do the things that are required to get that church up and, and, and off the ground. So whatever you can do to help.
Do it for the Lord, though, not because I'm saying anything. All right? It's in your heart, your support of the missions. Our next service is Thursday, May 29th, Bible study, 7 o'clock. We will be continuing our series on prayer. And this week we're going to be looking at the Psalms and prayers in the Psalms. What? Did I say something wrong? Oh, ninth. Oh, whew. I know, right? Let's just slow down here a little bit. Everyone's looking at me funny. I'm like... Uh, what, did we cancel Bible study? I didn't know about it. Thursday, May 9th. This Thursday at 7 o'clock. All right. We, uh, we have a gut policy of giving. The only time, really, we pass around um, baskets is when we have uh, missionary visiting. Other than that, it's a grace principle in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which means that as the Lord has prospered you, so you freely give. That's the principle of giving. There's no tithing. There's no pledges. None of that. Not even passing the basket. We do that special. But most of the time we don't do that because we don't want people to feel pressure. It's supposed to be free. We're given freely. Okay, so um, when, you, when you do that, you know, there's multiple ways. You can, we do have a, a, a box in the back you can use. You can mail it to the church. Um, you can also go on the internet if you're really advanced. I just, I, just, I just figured out how to use PayPal. And I scratched my head. It's like, wait a minute. It's kind of like the same thing as using your credit card. What, what's the, why would I do that? You know, greater minds than I know the answer. All right, let's close by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are all born dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of the Lord, of the, of the, of the, of the glory of the Lord. And yet God didn't leave us there. He sent His Son, the Son of God, God, and became flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus Christ went to the cross. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, He was raised from the dead so that whoever believes in Him will never perish, but has that instant, has eternal life. And God the Father looks at that new child of God and declares in heaven to all the angels that this one is righteous because I credited him with, or her with my very righteousness. All of that happens the moment you're saved. So believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you have any questions today, I will invite you to come up and speak to me right after service. And uh, Pastor Kingsley, you want to be with me then? In case they want, People don't want to talk to you, man, so you're going to be with me. All right, let's just close again. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you brought Kingsley to us today. Pastor Kingsley, we thank you for the work he does. Most of all, we thank you for the privilege, especially today, of bringing into remembrance the death of the Lord. 
we would ask that we would be bold in our daily lives as we, the Lord bring, as you bring to us people that need to hear the good news. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.